By way of reminder, it's been a couple of weeks since we started this series. Titus is a compatriot of Paul's. He has been mentored by Paul. There is much commentary that believes he was led to faith in Christ by Paul. He has traveled with Paul, and he's a very trusted friend of Paul's. Paul has trusted Titus to handle many difficult situations that are happening in the local church, in the New Testament church that is uh, fairly new. And Titus is on the island of Crete. Crete is an island off of Greece, and it is an island with a sordid and sad history as well as culture. And some time after at Pentecost, some Cretans were actually at the preaching that Peter was doing when he was preaching the gospel at Pentecost. And those Cretans got saved and uh, it appears brought the gospel back to Crete where some churches were established. Sadly, these churches have come under the influence of false teachers, people who are professing to be solid Christians, but in reality are leading these dear believers astray with teaching that does not fit in the truth of Scripture, teaching that does not fit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what they're teaching, they, these, are, these are Jews, they're, they're, they're teaching um, Jewish traditions, they're teaching Jewish myths, they're, they're, they're inserting human commands into people's lives. And what they're doing is they're, they're dismantling the gospel. They're, the, the good news that, that there's nothing we can do to earn favor with God. There's nothing we can do to become saved in our own effort. There's nothing we can do to be forgiven of our sin. Only God can forgive our sin. Only God forgives our sin in Christ. And these, these believers are being taught something different. They're being taught that if you do this or if you do that, if you, you follow this rule and you follow this regulation, you will become more spiritual. And not only will you become more spiritual, you'll become closer to God. And these these leaders are leading. These, these, are, these are men in the churches. And they're leading people down a pathway to destruction, to shipwreck their faith. And so Paul, Paul writes this letter. He, it's a pastoral epistle. It is, it is a letter from a pastor to a pastor to, to prepare new pastors to jump in and to literally save the church. To, to save these people from the destructive teaching that is occurring on the island of Crete. So look with me as we follow along in chapter 1 and starting in verse 10. Well, actually, let me begin in verse 5 to set this up. Paul writes in verse 5 to Titus, he said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what we remain into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant 
or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word, the gospel, as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And now in verse 10, and this is why Paul sets this up for what these new elders should be. He says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, the Jews. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but deny them by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. In February of 1945, 70,000 Marines landed on a small but strategic strip of land in the South Pacific known as Iwo Jima. 22,000 elite Japanese soldiers known as the Red Sun were waiting ready to defend the island. No one had any idea what to expect, and what they eventually experienced when they landed on shore was beyond their imagination. It took over one month to capture the island four and a half miles long and two and a half miles wide. Half half of the 92,000 men fighting were either wounded or killed, trying to take or defend the higher ground, the most valuable being the area of Mount Suribachi. The ascent of Mount Suribachi began on February 19th and ended four grueling and costly days later on February 23rd when six soldiers finally planted an American flag at the summit. Now, in a similar manner, the island of Crete was engaged in an even more serious battle for the souls of men and women as heretics were leading many astray by their false teaching. The things they taught were wicked. They perverted the truth by teaching a gospel message that was not a gospel message at all. They, they were seductive in their teaching. They were false in their teaching. They were teaching that to be accepted by God, Cretan Christians must, like I said earlier, attain to certain and practice certain behaviors. Some of those behaviors, it turns out, were even immoral practices. Immoral practices. 
And the battle on Crete raged for the faith of these churches because many, many, it says here, were attempting to destroy the gospel. For there are many who are insubordinate, many who are empty talkers. There are many who are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Many. Am I doing something wrong? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. In, in Titus 5, 1 through 9, which we read, Paul, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders, to appoint elders in every town and every church so that they would return back to the true gospel. The gospel that Titus mentions in 1, 1, he, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God elect and their knowledge of the truth. And whenever you see the word truth in these epistles, when you see Paul talking about truth, he's talking about the gospel. And in verse 9, he says that, he, that the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word, the gospel. This is what Titus must do. This is what Paul is after, that these men, these newly appointed elders, Titus among them, must return the churches back to the truth back to the gospel, the good news that Christ died for your sins, that Christ rose again from the grave, that Christ ascended into heaven, that Christ intercedes on our behalf, that Christ will return one day. The gospel that you can do nothing to earn your salvation, but Christ died for your sins. That, that has been Perverted. And the primary responsibility of these newly appointed elders is to teach this gospel, to instruct in sound doctrine, and to rebuke those who oppose the truth, the simple truth of the gospel. Their wrong words, these false teachers, their wrong words, their wrong motives, and their wrong actions are having devastating effects upon the people who are in those churches. Devastating effects. Not only are there many doing this, but look, they, verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Whole families are being ruined. And so Paul instructs Titus to, to take back the island of Crete to plant the flag of the gospel back on the island of Crete, to fo- because the focus of the Christian life cannot be human achievement, but in Christ. The focus of the Christian life, Paul wants the gospel to be clear that each believer's understanding and knowledge of Christ is, is clear that it's not about them. It's about, it's about knowing Christ and all the by his death on the cross, all that he has done, suffering and his sacrifice, all that he has done by taking our place, being our substitute. Paul wants Titus to get these people back to that truth and not these rules and regulations and these, these human commands that are being perpetrated among the churches on Crete. At this point, The battleground before Titus is littered with 
casualties. Littered with casualties. And so he must fight the good fight of faith to preserve both the gospel and the church. And to do this, Paul gives him clear instructions. Three things that Paul tells him to do. They are to appoint in verse... The the positive is to appoint elders, to appoint men who hold firm the the trustworthy gospel, and to appoint men who can instruct in sound doctrine. That's the positive in verses 5 through 9 that we studied the last time. But there's a negative, because this is what is going on. And so the negative is, Titus, you have a fight on your hands. You have a fight. You're battling for the souls of the people in those churches who trusted the gospel, and now they're being told the gospel doesn't work. It's not enough. There's more to what you have to do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love, to earn God's acceptance. And so in these verses 10 through 16, Paul tells Titus, okay, this is what you need to fight the fight. The first thing is you need clarity. The second is you need courage. And the third is you need conviction. Now the first clarity, 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, for there are many who are insubordinate. The first thing is that Titus and these pastors need to know the character of who they are up against. They need to know the character of their enemy. Because these men are enemies of the gospel. As Paul talks about in Philippians, these are enemies of the gospel. And so they they need to know who their enemies are. They need to know their character. These men are are men who are, are perverting truth. And this is a stunning and deeply concerning opening to Paul's instruction. Because he uses the word many. For many are doing this. It's not just a few guys who are popular going about. There are many who have bought into this lie. And when many buy into that lie, many are turned away. Many are ruined. Many are shipwrecked in faith. Many need help. So Paul says, listen, you, you must know Titus. You must identify them by their character. And here's how you know who they are. They are insubordinate. Or as the NASB says, they are rebellious. They refuse to submit to authority, to apostolic authority, to Paul's authority. They're insubordinate. They are empty talkers. They are teachers who say absolutely nothing because what they are teaching is heresy. It's not, it's not true. They are perverting the gospel as defined by who Christ is because it is no gospel at all. It has no substance. It has no truth. It has no power. It has no hope. It has no reality. It is simply error. It is empty talk. He goes on, they are, they are deceivers. They are deceivers. They, they violate what, they were, what pastors are supposed to do, as we see in verse 9, they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, give instruction in sound doctrine. That is not what these men are doing. They are deceivers. Their, their speech is smooth. It's, it's seductive. It is plausible. It is 
completely hellbound in its content. And it is, it is an ill motive. They are doing it, as we see here, for shameful gain. Verse 11, they must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These false teachers are enemies. They're not just guys out there with their different opinions. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 3, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. And that's what these men are. Paul goes on. He doesn't just stop with their insubordinate, they're empty talkers, and they are deceivers. He goes on. If you look in verse 12, he goes on to say, listen, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. So so the so Cretans know. Now, this, this comment about one of the one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, when he's talking, he's not he's not making this generalization that every person on Crete is what he is about to quote here. But He is making a, this is what the culture is like. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This, Paul says, and Paul, this is Paul's edition. This testimony is true. This testimony is true. This is who they are. They they are evil beasts. They are liars. They are lazy glutton. They teach for shameful gain. They teach because they just want to fill their lives with good stuff. They, they want to pad their lifestyle. Titus, these are the gospel enemies you are facing. And so you need clarity. You need to know who and what you're up against. And you need to instruct these elders. And you need to instruct the church in what to see. Because these guys that are teaching what they're teaching, it's, it's not weird. It's not out-of-the-box stuff. It's plausible. It's, it's seductive. It's enticing. It sounds really good. And that's why... Many are being led astray as well. So, so be clear. Have clarity, Titus. That's, that's the first thing you need to fight this battle. To preserve the gospel. To preserve the church. The second thing is to have courage. Know what you must do. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, They must be silenced. They must be silenced. The, the Greek there is literally, they must be muzzled. If you've got duct tape, Titus, rip it off and put it on. Close the mouths of these false teachers. They're teaching, they're upsetting whole households. They're killing faith by distorting the grace-filled message and hope of the gospel. They're turning people away from Christ. And they're turning people to human inventions, human 
perceptions, human opinions. They're turning people away from the Savior. And with their heretical talk, they're tearing churches and families apart. And Titus, this is what you must do. You must silence them by holding firm to what you know to be true. Verse 9, back to verse 9. They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. That is the point of what these teachers are to do, to instruct in sound doctrine, to, to hold to the trustworthy word of the gospel and to rebuke those and contradict those. That is how you silence these men. That's what... That's a part of what preaching is every Sunday. The responsibility of your pastors is to stand here and when appropriate, when necessary, to contradict what perverts the gospel. To refute what is untrue. To protect the flock, to instruct the flock so that you are sound in doctrine, so you are discerning, so that you are able to, when many who are insubordinate and empty talkers and deceivers come your way, you're able to discern and say, no, that is not right, that is not gospel. That is what we're to do, is to equip you to be able to do that. And so Paul tells Silas, you must silence them, refute their error, instruct in sound doctrine. And even more forceful, in verse 13, he says, look, rebuke them sharply. And sometimes that's what it takes. It just takes a simple stop. Rebuking. But rebuke him with a pastor's heart. Because if you read on in verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Paul rebukes them. Paul wants them rebuked to stop their wickedness and to return to the teaching they heard at the beginning. To return to the gospel. To return. And, and so Paul says, speak boldly. Speak firmly. Speak sharply. They, that they may once again believe. That they may turn away from the unsound things that they have held. Paul doesn't want to lose them, but preserve them. He wants to turn them away from the very falsehood that they are teaching. And so it takes courage to do this. It takes courage to stand and say, hey, listen, what, what, what you're believing, what you're teaching, it's just heresy. It is wrong. Well, no, that's just your interpretation. Oh, no, it, it's not. It's not. Let's, let's go back to God's word. And it takes courage. And Paul wants these men to have courage. And it's because of what they are teaching. They're, they're teaching as he goes on in, in verse um, 14, 
not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Colossians 2, Paul gives us an idea of exactly what is going on. These are the kinds of things that, that the Jewish heretics are, are preaching, the ones who are, are perverting the gospel in, in Colossians 2. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Then he goes on to say this. He says, no, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. That's what's going on. And there's these myths and there's these human commands. So I grew up in a Jewish home, and my mom had more myths than I could count. Eat all your food because children in Europe are starving. Really? Can you name one? That did not make my dad happy. Or my mom would say, God can be everywhere, so he made mothers. It's why I'm here. Or don't cross your eyes because they're going to freeze that way. Jewish myths from a Jewish mom. But my mom's Jewish myths were harmless. What's being taught on Crete is not. And these new pastors, this man Titus, they need courage to shut down what will destroy people's faith. But here's the, this is not an ancient problem only. Myths. False teaching and human commands. It's not just an ancient problem limited to the island of Crete. There are many false teachers today who teach a plethora of heretical ideas that undermine the Bible's integrity, that change the gospel, that diminish Christ's glory. They, they offer a gospel that looks and sounds Christian, but it is not. I got online, got on Amazon, and I just typed in books about teaching, Christian teaching of, of what's out there today. And, 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 and so I saw the titles of the books. They, they were bad enough. But then I read the comments that people made about the book they had read. Now, these are books that your best life now and, you know, you, you deserve to be prosperous. Books like that and, and many others. Here, here's what uh, one author's book on, on the prosperity gospel, this is what one reader of the book wrote. The prosperity message is under attack within the church. After reading this book, I can't imagine why any Christian would reject the fact that God's will is prosperity. I now have a better understanding of Jesus' saying, I, have, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly thanks to this book. The Bible talks about money more than it does heaven. It talks about God's desire for his people to fare well in life often. 
As a Christian, it never set right with me that the same God who saved me and delivered me would leave me sick, broken, and family relationships that were disunified. I'm so glad I read this book, for it showed me what has been missing in my life and how God wants me to have the best. That's what people are gaining. That's what they're learning. That's what they're being taught. That's what they're not discerning. Another professing Christian wrote a comment after reading a well-known evangelical pastor's book. This is a well-known evangelical pastor who wrote a book about the Bible and the change in his life where he has disagreements with the Bible. And this is what this, this man wrote. Peter addresses what I consider perhaps the most harmful belief among believers today, a misguided and mistaken understanding of reading the Bible that assumes the words of the Bible are straight from God and represent the very voice and intent of God. You get that? This is a misguided and mistaken understanding. Now, this is the most harmful belief in Christendom today, that you actually believe the Bible is the word of God. How dare you? Are you that ignorant? Are you that naive that you would actually believe God is speaking to you? Come on, get a life. Grow up. And that book is selling in the millions. That's what people are believing. And that's what Paul is saying. Oh, Titus. Titus. This is what you have to do. You've got to have courage. You've got to stand against these. Regardless, regardless of the blowback, you stand firm. Verse 9. Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Hold firm. And that, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, this is what Devin and I promise to always do. Thank you. To hold firm to the trustworthy word so that you may not be led astray. Now listen, these examples are just a tiny sampling of what is out there that is seductive and plausible and enticing that offer a better life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And eventually these false teachings and these kinds of promises are going to shipwreck people's faith. Think, think of this, based, based on a false gospel, then what do you say to the Christian who is suffering? It's all your fault. That's all you can do. Do we tell them that what the Bible says about trials and persecution and sinful strugglings is simply wrong and needs to be reinterpreted to fit into today's teaching? Is that what we tell them? Absolutely not. Here's what we do. We show them Christ. We show them Christ. We say, are you, are you suffering? Yeah. We show them Christ. In, in our suffering, our only hope is the gospel, even when our suffering is daunting. 
If not for the gospel telling us that we have a greater hope than perfect health, a greater future than financial security, a greater love offered to us than any human relationship, we would only know darkness, depression, and despair. But we don't. We know Christ. The gospel is the good news that we are Christ and he cares for us and he sympathizes with us and he intercedes for us in prayer because he has suffered in our place. He's paid for our sins by his death on the cross. He rose from the dead so that we could have new life. He took the wrath that we deserved that we can be reconciled to God. This is who we know. And in our new life in Christ, we can be confident that he watches over us. He is with us because he has given us his spirit. Jesus and the gospel are our only hope. And that is what Paul is telling Titus. This is what you must courageously proclaim. Myths and human commands have undermined the gospel. So these appointed new pastors and Titus must be courageous, must rebuke sharply, must silence these men, hoping they turn back to Christ. Now, there's a possibility they won't turn back to Christ. In fact, in in chapter 3 of Titus, Paul writes, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So Paul is already saying, hey, look, this, this stuff that these guys are teaching, these myths and human commands, that's what they are. They're, they're controversies, they're foolish, they're genealogies, they're dissensions, they're quarrels, and they're unprofitable and worthless. But if they keep on teaching, if they keep on doing this, here's what you do in verse 10 of chapter 3. As For a person who stirs up division, which is what these men are doing, after warning them once and then twice, have nothing to do with them. Throw them out of the church. Excommunicate them is what he is advocating. And so, Titus, have clarity about who these men are. Have courage in standing against them. And finally, have conviction. Know what you believe so that you can instruct in sound doctrine. Listen, Titus, you have to know exactly what you believe. The reason why so many get turned astray is because they don't have clarity themselves about what they believe. They don't have conviction. And so when a plausible idea, a plausible teaching, um, it sounds good, it is seductive, when it comes along, it kind of gets added to your belief bowl. And, and, you, and, and if you ever pull, t- turned it out and, and looked at all the things you believe, and, and I'm not talking about you, I'm just rhetorically, it's rhetorical, so nobody take this personally. Uh, but if all the things you believe, and, and people realize, wait a minute, what I believe over here directly contradicts what I believe over here, but they all sound good. And so I, I kind of live over here in this belief, and then I live over here in this belief, and, and there's just a mixture and so we, we have to have conviction. These men have to have conviction, know what they believe. To take this step necessary, they have to be clear what the gospel is. 
And so Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, listen, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, Paul doesn't exactly explain, in fact, he doesn't explain what he means by to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. It's kind of like, I mean, Marilyn, this morning, we're, we're driving in, she goes, you got to preach that? And so we're talking about what it is on the way, and I'm trying to explain it to her, and I'm realizing I'm not doing a really good job explaining it to Marilyn, because Paul hasn't done a very good job explaining it to me, but... Other passages do explain this. And so we're not left to ourselves to just try and figure out what this truth is. Uh, it's very helpful. Uh, what they were doing, and, and to the pure, all things were pure. And you have to understand, you have to go back. These, these, are, Judy, these are Jewish men who are, who are doing this. These are the cir- men of the circumcision. And so they have Jewish laws in place. These are what we read about in, in 3.9. Avoid the, the controversies, genealogies, quarrels about the law. I mean, these are the things that are, are being taught. And, and, and primarily, it's about two things. What food you eat and marriage. And in 1 Timothy 4, this is what is going on. 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Uh, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Sounds like Titus, does it not? And then he goes on to say, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, these guys are teaching marriage is bad. I object. I think marriage is good. They're also teaching abstinence from food. I object. Chocolate is good. (laughs) These are the kinds of things they are teaching. And, And what they're saying is, listen, if you don't hold to these laws, abstinence, from marriage, abstinence from certain foods. If you don't hold to these laws, you are impure, you are defiled, you are detestable. And Paul flips it around. And he says, listen, to the pure, those who are born again, those whose hearts have been cleansed by Christ, all things are pure. Getting married is okay. And eating food, eating chocolate is, is exactly right. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the unbelieving who these men are, nothing is pure. Everything you do is wrong. Anything you eat is wrong. And here's who these men are. Because their minds and their consciences, they're defiled. You're not defiled, Paul says. They're defiled. And and he goes on further. Listen, these guys, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. You want to know who these men are? Watch the way they live. And, and, and the works there, what has been going on is that not only are they teaching controversy and teaching uh, false doctrine, they're teaching, they're also, they're also supporting, approving immoral behavior. 
And so Paul simply just says, they are detestable. And that word detestable goes back to Old Testament idolatry. That is where that word is used. And, and these are men who, who are, I mean, Old Testament idolatry often had to do with sexual immorality. And that's what Paul is referring to here. These are these guys. So, so Titus, listen, you have got to know what you believe, that the gospel has made it clear. You don't have to abstain from these things. You don't have to live under their rules and laws and regulations to earn God's favor. No, no, no. God, God saved you in Christ. God saved you in Christ. You want that donut? When you come in, that's great. Have that donut. Celebrate Christ. Enjoy the gospel. And don't let anybody here tell you otherwise. Oh, you really should be drinking a smoothie this morning. No, I don't. Oh, absolutely not. Take your smoothie and go somewhere else. <laughs> Listen, what these false teachers failed to realize was that the problem was not what was happening from without, but what was happening from within. And Jesus made it very clear in Mark 7 when he says, and he called the people to him and again said to them, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Got that, honey? All foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And it is why we need the gospel. Because that's who we were. And if you have not trusted in Christ, that's who you are. But God has made a way in his son. He said, look, all these things that come out of you, they they can be cleansed. God will change your heart through Christ if you put your trust in him. This This is truth. This is gospel truth. In attempting to create their own spirituality, these false teachers undermined the work of Christ by their disobedience and their detestable behavior and their false doctrines. They didn't understand true defilement. And, and Paul makes it clear. Listen, the gospel, the gospel tells us how wicked we are. It, it is this dichotomy of good news, bad news. It, it does tell us how wicked we are, but it also tells us where we can find hope. Jesus was painfully clear. It's what's in you. Listen, 
Nobody here, no one appreciates being told how sinful, wicked, filthy, and unattractive you are in God's eyes. No one. The gospel truth about our sin is very unattractive. It's why the gospel is so easily rejected. Oh, but those who don't, the gospel becomes attractive. Because those who, by God's Spirit, see who they really are and see what they really need and are shown by God's Spirit what they can have in Christ. Forgiveness. Listen, if we're we're honest with ourselves, we know what kind of evil thoughts and intentions occur in our minds and hearts each day. Thank God no one but God can see or hear them. We we each know personally the weight of sin, particularly hidden sin that is brought upon our lives. We become weary living in this world, knowing who we really are. But when we hear the gospel, when we hear the wonderful news that we don't have to bear that sin any longer, Christ bears it for us. When we hear that and we, we are relieved from the shame of our sin and the weight of our sin, we can be forgiven. Oh, the gospel offer is amazing. Listen, trade my sin for holiness? Absolutely. Trade my death for eternal life? Absolutely. Trade my despair for hope? Yes. Trade my punishment for forgiveness? Yeah, of course. Trade my poverty for Christ's riches? You bet. Trade my weakness for Christ's strength? Absolutely. Trade my fear for faith? That's what the gospel does for us. Listen, the gospel of Christ is an aroma to those being saved, but it is a stench to those who are dying. And tragically and sadly, Paul declares that these false teachers are unbelievers because they've rejected God and they are dying. There's nothing they do that merits God's favor. Everything they do is unfit for any good work. So in this opening chapter, Paul lays down for us a a clear gospel foundation, a clear understanding, and he's doing it for these men who are to be teachers. Listen, have clarity on, on what you're up against. Have courage to stand against it and have conviction to know what you believe so that you can walk through these seductive times. Now, how does this, how does this work out practically? What, what relevance does this have to us? Listen, as we get into the rest of Titus, we're going to see th- these guys, these false teachers, they're unfit for any good work. But as you read through, through Titus, you see Paul repeatedly talks about good work. So in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about a model of good works. In 3, 1, he talks about to be ready for every good work. In, later in 3, he says to devote themselves to good works. And again, in the end of 3, to devote themselves to good works. Works. This is what Paul is setting us up for. He's setting us up for understanding that, hey, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. And yes, it is all a work of Christ. But there's a response to that. 
And that response, when you are saved and you know who you are following and you know who you are believing, you will do good works and they will glorify God and they will have a a model for others to come to faith in Christ. Listen, the good news is only good if it's true in our lives. In the coming verses, Paul's going to show us how this can happen. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that has transformed us and made us each day more into the likeness of your son. Lord, we are, we are just amazed by grace. We are amazed by the gospel. We are amazed by your son who would come and take on human flesh, who would come and live the lives that we suffer under and would bear our sin. Lord, what a gift. Oh, may, may our lives glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.